To the king, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be glory and honor forever. Amen. Today the sermon text is from the book of Deuteronomy. At the beginning of the journeys of the children of Israel, God gave to them the law through Moses the first time. After 40 years of wandering, just prior to them entering the promised land, God gave the law to them through Moses the second time. Deuteronomy, second law. Today from chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. So far of God's holy word. In the name of our Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, dear fellow redeemed, <clears throat> not two months ago, Excuse me. Not two months ago, on September 8th, the longest reigning monarch in the history of the United Kingdom passed away. You know, it was Elizabeth II who occupied the throne of England for 70 years. And immediately upon her death by right of succession, her son Charles became the King of England. Charles, no doubt, will not serve as long as his mother did. He's already 73 years old. But it certainly is going to be a fantastic, pompous occasion in 2023 on May the 6th when untold thousands will gather in and around Buckingham Palace and Charles III will be crowned the King of England. It will be his coronation. Would you like to be invited? Would you like to be present for the occasion? Would you like to be an honored guest and have the privilege of in a receiving line meeting the royal family and the king himself? 
Small chance. I doubt that any of us are going to be anywhere near that place. What if you were, though? What would be the correct protocol to greet the royal family and the king? From what I've read about it, if you're introduced to someone from the royal family, you give a bow or a curtsy, and you address that person as your royal highness. Meet the king, however, it's a different form of address. Again, a bow or a curtsy, and you address the king as your majesty. Now, if it were you addressing the king, you'd probably call him your majesty in order to uh, fulfill local custom, in order to give proper respect and protocol. But not because he's your king. We don't have a king when we're here as American citizens. And not because the man, Charles of Windsor, is a particularly majestic example of a human being. He's a man just like the rest of us. In fact, in the United States, we have a long tradition of never bowing reverently to anyone. Here in Deuteronomy, Moses tells us to whom it is we really ought to pay respects of holy awe and reverence, not any earthly person. Our theme today is, for us, there's only one your majesty. For only he has ultimate power and mercy, so only he is worthy of our humble praise. You know, early on in United States history, there was a point in time where there was one man who, if he had desired it, could have gathered to himself nearly unlimited power. It's the founder of our nation, the Honorable George Washington, who led our armed forces in the War of Independence. And when it came time to select a president, George Washington, was elected unanimously to that office by the Electoral College of the time. He served with distinction and acclaim and was overwhelmingly elected again to a second term. And though it wasn't required of him, after serving two terms as president, he quietly retired to Mount Vernon, his estate, and thus set up a tradition in our country of presidents only serving two terms, a tradition that became enshrined in our Constitution later on. And it's been a good thing, a good thing that there isn't too much power in our nation gathered in one person for too great a length of time. With checks and balances and division of power, we enjoy the greater freedoms that George Washington envisioned when he declined to take a third term. Do we owe honor to our rulers? Yes, we do. The Bible says we do. We also owe them obedience, but not reverence. You see, true reverence and all that goes with it belongs to only one, only the one true God in heaven. For we have the same king that the nation of Israel had when Moses addressed them. <clears throat> Moses, just prior to the people going on without him into the promised land of Canaan, 
gave them God's law once again and severe warnings and great encouragements before they took possession of that land, these people heard of and worshipped the same God that you do. The same God who brought them out of Egypt with great miracles, the same God who led them through the Red Sea on dry ground, the same God who fed them with manna for 40 years and brought water from a rock, the same Lord God the people of Israel worshipped is the one who is active and alive and living in your heart by faith in his word this very day. He alone is truly awesome. As Moses, you might have noticed, Moses used that word twice in this text for today. First of all, in verse 17. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Awesome, a word that in our modern day has lost a lot of its punch. It's thrown around, you know. A little girl draws a picture that can finally be identified as a turtle, and her uncle says, that's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with giving her encouragement in her, her artistic talents. If the starter on the high school basketball team makes three successive free throws, and several in the crowd cry out, awesome. Well, it is, on a certain level, for certain people, at a certain time, there's nothing wrong with that. But the truly awesome things, the things that are jaw-droppingly amazing beyond our comprehension, the truly awesome things that cause us to bow the knee to the majesty displayed, these things belong to the one true God whom we worship to your God. For Moses said, indeed heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. <clears throat> you've had those jaw-dropping moments, haven't you? When you've been out of the countryside in the dark night and the skies are clear and you look heavenward and all the stars in their vast array are displayed in their great beauty and you know that they are incomprehensibly far away and that they all go in their appointed paths, and we can set our clocks and calendars by them. That's awesome. And it's awesome to think that merely by the word of his power, the Lord brought them all into being in an instant. As we read in Psalm 147, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He's the God and overarching power and protector of all things, both in heaven and the highest of heavens and here on earth. So if you've ever been impressed by the waves crashing into the rocks on the beach or the changing weather patterns that can bring either great blessing or great destruction, if you've ever been mightily impressed, not only by the great and powerful things in this world, but God's intricate arrangement of the very tiniest things, the atoms that make up the molecules, that make up the elements, that when knitted together in the womb of a woman give birth to a living child, 
and all of those millions of instantaneous and simultaneous miracles have to keep going moment by moment for us to keep breathing and living. And it's happening all around us. And all of this is by the authorship and by the control of the one true God who knows the number of hairs upon your head. We stand back before the majesty of this God in the praise of how awesome he is. The maker of all things has special care and concern for his own people. Moses addressed God's own people that day in Deuteronomy chapter 10 with these words. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. And so we took the children of Abraham, the Hebrews, and in a sense put them in their place because they were a tiny tribe of insignificant people. But under God's power and guidance, they became an uncountable multitude of people about to inherit the prime real estate of Canaan as his own gift. Who are God's own people today? Not those who have the DNA of Father Abraham in their blood. God's own people today are you and you and you. All of you who have the faith of Abraham in the one all-powerful and merciful God who sent his son to be our savior. Paul says exactly that in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here we are, few in number, a motley crew, but God by faith in his Son through the working of the Holy Spirit has designated us to be his heirs, his special chosen people. Is that not, in every sense of the word, an awesome thing? We ought to bow the knee before this majesty, the only true God, and also take to heart Moses' words of warning to those people on that day, which are for us as well. He said in verse 16, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. What kind of warning is that? He referred to a surgical procedure that God required on little boy babies soon after they were born. He referred to the people's tendency to have tunnel vision in that they would refuse to turn their head to look at God's will and command and would simply looking at their own agenda and will for themselves. And his basic message to those people today and the message for us today is repent. Repent and recognize your own self-seeking, stubborn will that so many times has refused to see and follow God's ways and commands. Repent of the evil things in your life, those that others can see, those that only you know about, those that only you and God know about, and cast them aside 
cast them at the cross of his son where mercy and forgiveness are found. As you ponder the power and wisdom and majesty of God, see these sins and know that you are helpless of yourself in them, but that God is the one who administers merciful justice. We come before him bowing the knee in repentance, and he lifts us up to forgiveness in life. He talked about this special care he has for the helpless in verses 17 and 18 today, where the one true God shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And just as God has particular care and concern to help those who can't help themselves, the literal widows, the literal orphans and aliens, the strangers in this life, isn't it also true that we, in our utter helplessness, to bring about any kind of goodness or righteousness that will gain us eternal life, in our helplessness, God administers justice for us. Justice always sounds like judgment. But the strange and wonderful justice that God administers for us is the justice that put all the guilt and shame of every sin of all time and placed it squarely on his son when he gave himself as a sacrificial lamb, innocent, on Calvary's cross. That's where God's justice fell on his innocent son instead of on you. And so when it's in God's mind to help in particular those who are helpless, those who have no other recourse, and we come before him with only our sins to show, his great justice in punishing Jesus instead of us lifts us up to life eternal. No wonder Moses encouraged the people of that day in verse 21. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. And our eyes have seen them. Our eyes of faith as we behold Jesus dying on Calvary's cross. As we behold the empty tomb in Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God. Yes, we humble ourselves before the king, but he does not leave us prostrate, prostrate before him. He lifts us up. Reminds me, you know, of the kings of yore, you know, during the Dark Ages, the legends concerning King Arthur and his round table, And a man of noble character would come before the king desiring to be in his service. And Arthur would have the man kneel before him and draw his sword Excalibur and touch it on one shoulder and then on the other and say, I dub thee Sir Galahad, Sir Lancelot, whichever knight it was. And then the king would say, rise, rise and swear your loyalty to the throne and the knight would do so and from thereafter he would be the king's man he would give life and limb if necessary to defend the honor of his majesty the king 
Dear Christians, you have come before the Lord bowing the knee in humble repentance. You've received his promise of complete forgiveness and life eternal. The other part also applies. The Lord says, rise to life as my free gift. Now rise and pledge your loyalty and your life in my service now. No wonder Moses said to the people there, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. And so our life of service to his majesty, our one and only king, our life and service is one that is to be of honor and fulfillment of duty, the service to the one who served us first, and it ought to be a joy. Moses described a life that's lived for this majesty of the one true God at the beginning of our text, verse 12. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. What a joyous privilege to have God himself lift us up to forgiveness and life eternal, and then to be put in his service to somehow, by what I do and live and say in this life, to be of service to him who gave me all in his son. It's the least we can do for this kind of king, a joy for us to do for this kind of king. And did you notice that this direction, these commandments are given for our good? And when we limber up our necks and see in our lives the path that God would have us take and follow that, he makes it even a tremendous blessing here and now for our good and for those around us. Oh, there is no earthly king who could ever compare with this one, awesome in his power and awesome in his grace. <clears throat> So where do you suppose you'll be this coming May the 6th? Planning to travel to England, spend a little time in London, perhaps witness the coronation of King Charles III? Me neither. I don't plan to be there. Would be kind of awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, in a limited way, to be able to see all the pomp and ceremony of the coronation of an earthly king. I think I would enjoy seeing it. But what you're actually going to see in person is the true glory, the awesome majesty of glory that awaits when the events take place of which Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will bow the knee at that time. Those who rejected him will bow in great fear, but have to acknowledge the kingship of the Lord Jesus. What a blessing. What a blessing for us to know him now, to bow the knee in repentance, to be lifted up in forgiveness and service to his holy name here and now. 
for on that day we'll greet him with joy and be invited to the heaven that he's earned for us. Bow the knee <clears throat> this day in wide-eyed wonder at his power, in heartfelt trust in his grace and his Son, and in joyful dedication to his service. So may our lives always be a reflection of the majesty of this one true and awesome God. As we shall soon sing, we pray. Grant me grace, O God, I pray thee, that I may, with all my might, all my lifetime, day and night, love and trust thee and obey thee. And when this brief life is o'er, praise and love thee evermore. In Jesus' name, amen.